What's good, everyone? Cheats here. And before we get into this episode of the Cheats Movement podcast, a continuation on our public education series, I've got to tell you what's new with the Family Podcast Network. That's right, thefamilypn.com. We're uploading brand new shows just about every week, and we are excited to let you know that we've added new shows from Doc Jana, Dr. Tiffany Jana. We've added a new show, River City 93, all about the inside, inner workings, and on-the-field play of the Richmond Kickers. And we have a brand-new show, Patients Come First. Uh, It's a podcast that is sponsored by the Virginia Hospital Association. Make sure you check those out, along with all the other shows you know and love on thefamilypn.com. That's the Family Podcast Network. On this episode of the Cheats Movement Podcast, we continue our education series talking about Richmond public education. We're talking about uh, all the things that are happening on the Richmond School Board, all the things that are happening with teachers, parents, administrators. And I am excited because this episode, we get to talk to the first district school board representative, Liz Dore. Liz is a friend. Uh, I know her to be a wonderful public servant. Uh, and we get into a bunch of things. We get into, obviously, the the votes this week on the budget. We get into William Fox and the vote to renovate William, William Fox, where it stands. We get into what's it like for her representing the 1st District, which is obviously a crucial part of the city, but very different from the city at large, if you will. Um, Liz was very open, very honest in her conversation. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. And, you know, with no further ado, First District School Board Representative, Liz Dore. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement Podcast brought to you on the Family Podcast Network. If you are not familiar or have yet to subscribe, please do so. It is thefamilypn.com. We are continuing our conversation about public education, Richmond public education, and I am joined by a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, I don't know what to say. I like I, I when I have been going through this process of talking to people in public school in RPS. Uh, it's come to find out that I have a lot more friends and a lot more connections than I ever thought. And uh, it is exciting. It's exciting. And I say all that to welcome um, someone that I've known for a while, someone that I've I've known her family, and I know she's a wonderful public servant, first district school board member, second term, Liz Dore. Liz, welcome to the (laughs) Cheats Movement. We're excited to have you. I am so excited. As I told you, this is like a total Richmond bucket list item for me. So I feel like such a celebrity right now, even though I'm totally not. <laughs> no, no, this, this is, it's fun. Uh, it's been fun. It's been a fun process for me to learn more about the kind of the inner workings of Richmond public education. I've talked to a couple of your colleagues on school board. I hope to talk to the, to more of them talk to yeah. some members of the administration and just, you know, some reporters and people around the community because it is such an important issue. And when it comes to municipal government and local government and just making daily lives manageable and important and, and better, 
public education always seems to be, it should be always 1A, but it's, it's either 1, 1A of people and families and people like, so what you're doing and what you've done is just such uh, an important task. And we're going to jump right into it um, because um, we'll start with the most recent and then we'll go back. You guys are in the middle of, I guess, what's called now budget negotiations, but it's also throwing, I would think it throws the average casual follower off because we saw articles a few weeks ago that says the school board approved a budget and we're very excited about that. But now the reports are the school board is wrestling really hard with the budget. And I understand there's some kind of evening up and reconciliation that needs to be done. But for people that may not be as familiar with the budget process, and this is how we're going to fund Richmond Public Schools, what is happening right now and why, uh, how do you view it and how do you see kind of the points of contention to, to get everything done? Uh, all right, we're, we're, we're getting in right into it. Um, so um, just for maybe to just for anyone that is not familiar, because it is super confusing. Um, so the way the process works with the city is that um, the superintendent submits um, their budget of needs to the school board, usually at the start of a new year. And then the school board then tweaks that statement of needs and, um, you know, puts their authorship on the budget. And then we send that to the mayor. And then the mayor um, sends, then the mayor incorporates whatever they would like to incorporate um, into their budget. And then the mayor sends that budget to the city council. City council then makes their own tweaks. I'm already confused. Good, good. And then it comes back to us. So we can um, approve anything that, um, you know, we want, right? And uh, there's been some debate in prior years about, you know, do we request everything in the kitchen sink and then let the mayor and city council, you know, ultimately cut it to match their sort of allocation of money? Or do we try and match our budget to what what we think they're going to give to us? And, you know, sort of like there's all this game of, you know, game theory about what is the best way to do it. But the gist right now is that um, the superintendent proposed a $22 million increase. Mm -hmm. The board then um, approved a $16 million increase. And then the mayor came back and said, no, I'm actually going to um, only propose a $15 million um, increase. So from the original um, $22 million budget that the superintendent increased, we're now down by 7 million. And so we typically talk about budget and sort of an increase from the prior year. Um, we talk about kind of what the net of all the cuts and the ads. Um, And so um, this has been an extremely challenging budget year for several reasons. One, um, the local composite index, which is the funding formula that um, determines how much money each locality gets from the state. Um, The Richmond's formula went up, which means that Richmond now looks wealthier on paper than um, it has in the past. Mm -hmm. So, um, which is total crap. Um, and it means that 
we um, started off the year, forget about anything, with a $7 million deficit from the state. And the reason for that is because the local composite index, one of the major drivers in the formula is real property values. And um, in the city of Richmond, we have a lot of untaxed parcels of land from all the state property, from VCU, et cetera. And so, um, uh, so anyway, so we are actually receiving $7 million less from the state um, so it just created, you know, we started off the year in a deficit. Then on top of that, we're coming out of COVID. Um, so we are coming out of, you know, um, more than a year of virtual school. And so, um, and we're, we're trying to grapple with some of the state stimulus, state stimulus funding, mm-hmm. which has been great, but it's also one-time funding. So one-time it's really it's not something you can plan in the annual Right. So it's really hard to kind of figure out, okay, so you're starting at a $7 million deficit from the state. And then on top of that, you're dealing with, um, you know, you're dealing with uh, sort of this one-time versus reoccurring funding. Um, And so it's just created kind of a cluster, a perfect storm. So, and then we have lots of different personalities on the school board. So that also (laughs) creates some challenges um, and trying to get everyone to, um, you know, agree and um, approve something. So, and then, you know, you have to obviously then get the mayor and and city council to approve whatever you say. So that's kind of where we are. Um, So we're still very much in flux and we still have to identify um, quite a few cuts to, um, to our budget. So, and so when you, when you look at that lens and it's, it's cutting anything when you're talking about education and public education, you can make the case for everything. And that's the challenge, right? You can make the case that we need more, not less. And we're sitting here cutting, um, there's been a bunch of things that I've seen that were on the table, whether it was um, the superintendent staff or virtual academy, I think was a big, you know, was a big issue that was people were talking about um, and how you, how you fund that. When you look at the big picture and now of where we, and now you see where we are now, where it's like, oh man, we've got to reduce even more. How do you kind of formulate your priorities and the priorities of the first district? Yeah, um, great question. I mean, I I think that I have always um, tried to govern, um, you know, as someone that takes, obviously certainly takes into account and listens to my constituents, but someone that takes those concerns and um, and ideas and uh, marries them with the concerns and ideas of the rest of the city. Um, and so, you know, even when I was campaigning door to door, I was very clear that, you know, if they, if this district, my district wanted someone to only represent the first district and the best, the, the interests of the first district, then I was not the right candidate that I've always tried to put, you know, approach my governing from a citywide perspective, not from a district wide perspective. That doesn't mean that my constituents concerns um, have less of a voice. They certainly bring those concerns um, and ideas as, you know, an equal voice voice of, of the nine different districts. But the reality is that my district does not look like a lot of the other districts in the city. We are, you know, the whitest, wealthiest district. A lot of my constituents don't even send their kids to public school. And the public schools that we do have in my district act a lot like private schools. I mean, Mary Mumford is my elementary school and they have a six-figure um, PTA budget. PTA, which, yeah. And it's, it, you know, 
85% white, right? So it just, and in a district that is, you know, 85% students of color. So it just doesn't, you know, not that our needs are not important and our opinions are not important, but they're not more important. And I'm very um, aware of making sure that, um, you know, we in my district are not um, sort of, you know, to use sort of a conventional term, resource hoarding um, from the other very, um, districts that are in need across the, the city. I want to follow up on that because I've had other questions, but uh, since you, you brought it up and it's very, very um, accurate and astute, actually, Liz, because there are, there are leaders that have represented the first district in the past that would not have just said what you just said. Um, do you find it harder um, to represent, do you find it harder to represent your district or constituents um, with the kind of understanding that the families in the first, like you just said, are whiter and wealthier than the majority of every other district in the city. So there's this kind of uh, balance, right? There's this uh, juxtaposition, if you will, of what the first district looks like and what the overall, what two through nine look like. Do you, yeah. do you find that challenging in a, in a way that, um, Obviously, you make the best out of it and you do a great job representing your constituents. But do you find that harder to even get your voice heard when you're talking to city council members or school board members two through eight, two through nine, um, because they're going to look at you and be like, oh, Liz, like, really? You know what I mean? Like, well, I think I've built enough trust so that they're not like I roll. But certainly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think it's um I have learned, a t I mean, I thought that I was going to come into school board and make all this change and, you know, be this, <laughs> you know, pioneer. And honestly, um, um, it's been extremely humbling because I, it, you know, it has given me a view and an education on what the rest of the city, um, you know, is grappling with on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, you know, I have tried to, and I'm not always successful, but really try to make sure that I um, am, am truly listening and truly learning because, you know, I am a white person of privilege as well, right? And so I bring my own biases into the into the role. And so I'm very cognizant of, of trying to make sure that I am, you know, um, listening before I talk, doing my research, um, building relationships with peers across the city. Um, and then in regards to, to representing my own district, I view, I think two things are true. One, I think that participatory democracy is, is important. And I think that anyone should be able to have their voice be heard and have access to me um, and have me listen with, you know, with an open ear and an open mind. Um, I also believe that um, I see my role as someone that um, is a conduit to my district. And so I really try to, I try not to be um, judgmental or, or anything, but I really do seek to try and bring um, my experiences and my conversations and what I've learned from my peers across the city into my district to help all of us understand the differences and the opportunities and kind of the role that we play. And so, um, you know, it's, I, and I try and um, I try and move the needle in my district in a way that um, can you know most folks can get behind, but also in a way that um, you know 
tries to respect the voices of the district. So I think it's just hard because like, you know, we don't, sometimes we like privileged white folks, like don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I really try to, um, I really try to respect that, that place and kind of just like live in that area. Um, and, and then, you know, finally, I will say like, it also doesn't mean that the voices of middle-class families and upper middle-class families in the city aren't valid, right? We do want the, you know, the middle-class and the upper middle-class to stay in the city, to stay in Richmond public schools. We are better together. And I really do believe that. And so, um, it's not as much, I don't view it as much as, you know, taking away, but how do we, um, expand, right? How do we make sure that every elementary school in the city of Richmond has access to the same resources that the Mary Mountford community has? Is it important to you that families, especially younger families um, in the first district, is it important that they go to RPS or do you, because that's the, that's one of the interesting things about the first district and, and you kind of alluded to it as well, is they might go to elementary school, they might go to Mary Mulford, but by the time they get to mm -hmm. middle and high school, they're either in private school or out of the system or they've moved. Um, yeah. it's, how, how, how do you even approach the concept of retention uh, in, yeah. in a place like the first district. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think that we are better together. I think that, um, you know, I, um, one of, um, one of my mentors, Genevieve Siegel Holly, who is, um, a VCU professor and, and a country leading expert on school integration. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that she said in a um, speech that I heard, um, was the concept of fates bound together. And the idea that um, uh, her belief, and I agree with it, I think it's such a beautiful thought that um, the way that things um, in our society and the sort of the tension and the um, you know, fighting between um, different groups of people, one of the, the ways that I think we can um, make our world a better place is by having fate tied together. And so by having, um, you know, all kids in the city of Richmond, regardless of race, of socioeconomic status, whatever, your fates are bound together. You go to elementary school with your peers, with your, you know, to middle school, to high school. And, you know, um, I really reject the, um, the the concept that the middle schools and the high schools are bad in the city of Richmond. I, I think we really need to reframe what we mean when we say bad, because I think it has a lot of, um, frankly, racist undertones. Um, but and also like, why is it bad to go to a school with um, some kids that are not performing well in SOLs? Does that make it a bad school? Does that make those teachers bad? Or does that just mean that you're in a class with some kids that, you know, are at some learning level and some kids that are at another learning level? So why, you know, why do we think that that is the barometer of what is good? To me, for my kid, I want my kid to grow up with, you know, integrated schools and fates bound together have proven over and over and over again that they're better for all kids, that it reduces bias in today's multicultural world, that it helps with problem solving, that it increases academic scores for all kids. And so, um, I don't know, I feel like I went on a tangent there, but no, you're good. Okay. You're good. No, I like it. Well, <laughs> let's go put a bow on, let's, let's go back and put a bow just on, on the budget discussions because- yeah. Uh, for people that are listening, this is ongoing. I mean, you had a yeah. meeting this week and you're still, I think you have to come back because we haven't finalized it. Yeah. Um, again, when it's all said and done, what do you even hope? What, what would you say if, if you had your stamp on the budget? What would you say 
these are the things that I hope to see uh, budget-wise so our RPS can move forward. Yeah, um, you know, I'm really happy that we were able to maintain our teacher raise in this budget. I think that regardless of the mayor's budget, city council's budget, superintendent's budget, I think all of those will will retain, you know, the teacher raise, which I think is extremely important. I'm proud that we are increasing pay for substitute teachers um, and for bus drivers and for custodians. I think that a lot of that money will stay in the budget. Um, I think that sometimes, and, and I've been guilty of this as well in my tenure on the board, um, you know, sometimes we get, we can get distracted by um, shiny new programs and um, exciting new initiatives, but honestly, where I have evolved my thinking is like, I just want to fund the basics. I want to make sure that we've got healthy, safe buildings. I want to make sure that we've got happy, happy staff, um, you know, and of course I want some of, you know, some of the interesting things, right? Specialty programs are awesome. You know, more foreign languages are awesome. I, I've always been a big proponent of the arts, but I just want to fund the basics. Um, and I think I, what, one of the things that I, I have been worried about in this budget process is that in order to get a compromise with our colleagues, um, we had to acquiesce to some of those one-off needs, which I think are a distraction, especially in um, sort of a post-pandemic reality, where I think we need to focus on literacy, we need to focus on teacher retention, uh, we need to focus on student attendance, you know, just get back to the basics of providing a good educational experience. No, that's, that's, thank you. Thank you for that answer. It's, a, it's one in which I think you got to do the main things. You got to do, you got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Right. And I think you're, what you're mm -hmm. describing is because we have um, funding that is very narrow, but but tailored specifically post-pandemic that you mentioned can be used as one-time things. You should also be cognizant of budgeting those for one-time things. You don't want to start new things that can't be maintained in future years because you don't have that funding. Um, talk to me about what's going to happen because, you know, obviously the tragedy of fire at uh, Fox Elementary has just turned everyone into a tailspin. Um in regards to what do you do with with the children first? How do you get them back in school? Um, I have a um, relationship in a way. My my son went to First Baptist Church as a part of the uh, first step program for Ask, and so we know uh, First Baptist and we know kind of the, the the facility there. And they obviously they have stepped up and they are taking William Fox students. Yeah. Um, there's a recent vote. It's amazing. It's amazing what the community can do. Um, there's a recent vote that I guess voted on restoring the building um, as it is. So for, for people that may not necessarily be as familiar, that just means they're going to, in around two years, they will open the doors back at William Fox where it was in that, in that uh, area. And it'll, this, the school building will be, uh, re re renovated and restored. Is that what's what, what the what the vote was? Yep. Um, yep. So we um, have done three things. One, yes, we've moved um, the kids into a temporary location, um, and uh, we have also allocated five hundred thousand dollars to rehabilitate Clark Springs, which is an elementary school that. Um, has been closed for some years, but we use it as our transition school. So if we're building a new school, we we use it as a school to put the kids there while we're building the new school. So okay. luckily, 
we have that property and um, we haven't made a final final decision on that, but it's, you know, looking increasingly likely that, um, you know, we'll have a we'll have a temporary home for the next couple of years while Fox is being rebuilt at Clark Springs. The nice benefit of that, too, is that it's fairly close um, to the old Fox. So it's not I mean, it's it's we're very lucky to have that that piece of property. Um, and then, yes, we um, voted last Friday night to um, allocate the funding for a full renovation of Fox on the site. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm excited to move forward with that as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, it's um, it's taken a village um, sure, between the absolutely. community and, um, you know, the superintendent, school board. Um, and so I'm, I'm very happy that um, that we we have a plan um, in the midst of this tragedy. So. So can for somebody that would be skeptical. <laughs> it's already done so it's like we don't have to we don't have to fight the battle right but for somebody that be skeptical of a 110 year old building that is obviously in a location that is more residential than it is anything else right uh yeah. why is it the best course of action to build fox currently where it is as opposed to um you know making a new if you will and for 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 that community that kid why why was it why was that the best decision uh if it is the best decision because i want to be frank my first reaction was ain't no way 110 year old school is going to go back in that location exactly (laughs) where it was and it seemed like it was no debate it seemed like i was completely on the opposite i was i was i read the room wrong if you will (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think that um uh, I'm trying to um, pull up the actual presentation, but yeah. the um, superintendent, um, you know, did his homework, um, and that was a combination of cost-benefit analysis of our new Greenfield School versus a renovation, um, and plus community feedback and input. And it seemed like both the um, cost-benefit analysis of building on site was better, and the community feedback was stronger. So it was sort of both things pointing in the right direction. And um, so it made it a fairly easy decision, at least for me. Do you buy into the hype at all? And I'll give cover on this, if you will, because I don't buy into the hype of folks saying, had it not been Fox, had it not been where it was located in a more, because um, Fox Fox is not in the first, is it in the first? Mm-mm. No, no, yeah. But in a more affluent uh, area of Richmond, had it been in the ninth district or in the sixth district, that it would not have been this fast. And the like, have you heard this? I'm sure you've heard this. Of course. That yeah. If this was a, you know, predominantly African American Latino school, the r- response would not have been so um, robust, if you will. Do you buy into any of that at all? I think it's a fair, I mean, we, we, we can't know, right? I think it's fair um, for, you know, folks to think that. Um, I, um, uh, I think what people don't quite realize, though, is that Fox, we rezoned Fox during rezoning. And so the school is, in my opinion, a very, um, very representative of our city. It is not, uh, I think a lot of folks sort of unfairly paint Fox as the super affluent school. Um, and it and it really mimics the demographics of our city, you know, almost 
sort of not perfectly, but it, it is a good representation of our city. Now, does it mimic the demographics of some of our elementary schools? Absolutely not. Um, but it is, I mean, it has a huge population of black and brown students. It has um, socioeconomic diversity. I think it's 50% white, 50% um, students of color, um, the socioeconomic status kind of divides uh, about 50-50 as well, sort of upper middle class um, and students living in poverty. So um, so I do think that like, one, we should correct the record a little bit there. However, certainly it does have a higher population of affluent students than other schools in the city. Um, and then two, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's been magical. Like the Fox community has been amazing, right? And then the community surrounding the Fox community has been amazing. I mean, I went, I, we voted on the Fox renovation on Friday, and then I went to the Fox um, auction at Hardywood. Hardywood closed down um, to, to enable the Fox auction to happen. They raised gobs of money. It was awesome. Would that happen at, uh, you know, a school on, you know, an elementary school on the South side? Probably not. You know, the would, would they, would they the be difference. able to raise 100,000, 150,000 for the PTA? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I hope so. Interesting. Um, and would the parents, um, you know, have have sort of as much weight to their voice? Probably not. Um, and so, you know, I've certainly seen that before. I mean, um, two examples that I give um, to my constituents of sort of like us us white privileged folks not really understanding our privilege. One example is when we were doing rezoning, there was um, the potential for uh, Mary Mumford Elementary School, which we've already established is, uh, you know, the, the widest, wealthiest elementary school in the city and Carver Elementary, which you may recall was the subject of a um, cheating scandal a couple of years ago. Yep, right, behind, um, right behind VCU. Carver, yep. Right behind VCU. Yep. Um, you know, a large percentage of students living below the poverty line, um, there was a proposal to potentially integrate, combine those two schools mm -hmm. and um, combine the students in those two schools. Now, I won't weigh in on whether that was, you know, right or wrong, but the second that that proposal was introduced, within one month, the community raised $100,000 for Carver. Just the sheer mention and idea that kids might be, you know, might be mixing together a little bit. Right. These, these and, and to be clear, they did that to avoid. Correct. Yeah. Right. They didn't do that because they were out of the goodness of their heart for Carver. They oh, were like, yeah. no. I, mean, I won't speak forever, but yeah. No, it's, <laughs> wait, it's, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, it was not a, it was a, let's, let's avoid this. As at but all that's costs. crazy in sure. a month to raise a hundred. I mean, to basically like, you know, sure raise a budget like a PTA budget like that and in that amount of time I mean I just think it just speaks to you know again the power of us having a, assuming that if it were for the right reasons right like having fates bound together could be a really awesome thing right um and then <laughs> the second thing, second thing is I'm a little bit of a politician you gotta give me credit no, I was gonna there. say dear 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 sweet list no, <laughs> no keep going keep going Second, um, second example, um, uh, there was, um, we used to have our schools open on election day and, um, uh, and, you know, that created some concerns among community members because you had community members walking into schools to vote and, you know, there wasn't a lot of security, et cetera, right? Super valid. I'm glad that, you know, we've now moved towards closing schools on election day for a number of different reasons, including, but not limited to like, you know, creating a, a more safe environment for our kids. At Mary Mumford, a number of parents were upset about the security 
at other elementary schools across the city, parents were upset about security, but the voices were so loud from Mary Mumford that the superintendent himself had to physically go down to Mary Mumford and you know, parked his own car in front of the building um, to address the security concerns because the voices were so loud that it required the head of the school district to go to this one school, which is arguably the safest school, you know, one of the safer schools in our city. Um, and that, and I don't begrudge, I mean, parent families were complaining about security across the city, right? But the superintendent, even though he probably shouldn't have gone, didn't want to go, whatever, it wasn't like prudent for him to go, had to go to Mary Mumford because that was where the loudest voices are. And I think that that's what people, we don't always realize as white people of privilege, that like, we just don't even realize sometimes how our voices and our power comes across. So. And it's, and it's, and, and a lot of that, there's some, some system things there too, right? Yeah. So if, if you're uh, making a certain amount of, of money, annual income, you may have the privilege, if you will, to not go to work that day and be able to raise your voice in a way yeah. where, you know, if you're not in financially in that position or economic, you know what I mean? There's just, there's so many systems that come into, into play all throughout education. And that's one of the things that's often frustrating for me um, when we're talking education, because a lot of people want to kind of narrow it down and be like this school or this teacher or this, and they don't take into a, to account all of the systematic things around yeah. a particular school or a particular community yeah. and so forth. Um, and I often think of that more so than anything else when I look at um, the growing Latino population in RPS. And, you know, there are so many systematic factors that might make a challenge for a school on the South side that has a large, large number of Latino students. English might be the second language at the home. Parents may not want to come to parent teacher conferences for certain reasons. And there's just all of these challenges. And um, I've, I've learned as I've gone through and just learn more about education, learn more about the city, that there's so many of those factors that come into play. Let me ask you, um, not a personal relationship, but just um, communication with the superintendent, the superintendent's administration. Do you find you've been through, have you been, you've been through two superintendents on your time? Yeah. Well, I mean, Dr. Um, ben was on the end. Dr. Baden and then Tommy Krantz was the interim right. and the so I guess three. How, uh, in regards to communication with the Cameras administration, it seems to be uh, bought up a lot, depending on who you're talking to, various degrees um, yeah. from different members on the school board. How how do you kind of think the communication between you and the superintendent and the administration, good, fair, could be better? Like when, when we talk when we need to, but like how, how do you rate that relationship? Because that's an important relationship, right? Yeah, I mean, he's our, I mean, we, we, he's our, basically our only employee, right? It's like our only job is to manage him, um, uh, <laughs> you know, on school board. Um, I am, I think Richmond is extremely lucky to have Jason Cameras and his team. Are they perfect? No. Do they have, you know, do they mess up all the time? Yes. Are they learning every day? Yes. Um, but I think we are so lucky to have a team of thoughtful, committed, loving, um, smart people at the helm. And I am extremely disappointed in um, the board's inability to, as I see it, 
foster a collaborative working environment with the administration. Um, you can just watch it from, and I, I try not to speak in a pejorative sense about my colleagues because I do have tremendous respect for every voice on the board, but our board meetings are dysfunctional and they are not productive. And they end up, it ends up feeling like if you're on one side of the superintendent, you know, you're the only thing that you can say is anything nice because the other side that is, you know, sort of doesn't um, agree with the, the superintendent's performance, you know, doesn't have anything nice to say at all. So it's like, and, and, you know, I don't think anything is black and white like that, you know? And so I just think that um, we have got to, I really hope that our board can, can get it together um, to be a better managing body for this administration, because right now um, I have, I have concerns about um, how we're operating and functioning as a board. How, how do you foster improvement? And this is coming, look, this is coming from someone that during the day has to follow Congress. <laughs> so, and, and, I'm and, and, you know, full disclosure, we're recording that is at a time where they're going through the Supreme Court confirmation hearings. And it's mind, it's so frustrating and so mind blowing because if you're on one side of the aisle, the question is literally like, hey, how's it going today? And let me give you all this, all the yeah. praise on a nominee. And if you're on the other side of the aisle, it literally is like, I think today it was dark money and same sex. And that was insane. Um, and I know everyone, these are the things that when you run for public office, you don't run for public office saying, I want to join a log jam or a challenging yeah. communication. No. You, you run and say, if anything, I want to help foster change in that. So yeah. how do someone like yourself that seems to have um, a pretty good relationship with your colleagues and a pretty good uh, on the school board and a pretty good relationship with, you know, the administration and other municipal leaders or other city council, whatever, uh, how do you go about making it a, even a little bit better? <laughs> well, we had a rough school board meeting last night, so I'm feeling rather ornery on this topic. But right, well, uh, don't look, don't get in any trouble. Again, I've, I make I want I want people to learn about this stuff, but I don't want you to get in any trouble. No, no, no. I mean, I think the craziest thing, the craziest thing, is that eight of the nine of us are Democrats. Like we should not be fighting this much. I mean, it just is mind boggling to me. Um, so, and as we can, as we know, there are different degrees totally. of all political parties, right? All I know. political parties. I know. I know. It's a Pollyanna me. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I just wish that, um, you know, I think that when I came onto the board, you know, from the day that I came onto the board, it was some members of the community saw it as a bad and negative thing that I had a good relationship with the mayor and that I, you know, I don't think anyone judges my relationship with Andreas Addison, but I have a great relationship with Andreas as well. Like, do I agree with them and everything? No. Like, I mean, I have had like, like, you know, crying, ugly, crying, sobbing fights with both of them about various things, but we're still friends and we still are able to move things forward. And I don't understand why that's a bad thing. And I, it's frustrating to me when I see any kind of narrative that's like, oh, well, you're, 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 you know, close with the mayor. So, um, you know, it must be a bad thing. I'm like, shouldn't we all try and figure out how to work together? You know, it's all, most of the people on city council and school board are smart, you know, committed people. Like, I, like if we just got rid of our, got like, let our egos go a little bit. I think there's nothing that we couldn't accomplish. And, um, but in regards to specifically answering your question, 
I try to not hold a grudge. I try to always keep the, the doors of communication open. I, tr- I never give up on let's get a coffee, let's get a beer, you know, building that personal relationship, which I think is so key. Um, you know, and, and I learned a lot of that from, frankly, um, my colleagues on the board, you know, when I came in, um, I was, as I said, like, I was, you know, going to change everything and blah, blah, blah. And I was so annoying. I like, I was a new board member. I wanted to do everything. I didn't know the process. I wasn't listening to anyone, you know, whatever. And, um, the, some of the more tenured, uh, women on the board, um, didn't give up on me and they, they could have, right. And they kept meeting for coffee and they kept, building the relationship. Um, and, um, you know, today I call some of them, my, my, you know, my closest friends and I would not have thought that my first year on the board. So I think people can change. And, um, the closer that you realize that we're all just people trying to do the right thing. Um, and the closer that you can realize that about each other and build that trust, you know, my hope is that we can get there. Uh, quickly, because I know we're we're running short on time, but this is fascinating and, and a really good conversation. Who would you say um, has been kind of the most helpful through both your terms, from your first term to your term down? Um, who, who, whether it's a group of people or an individual person, I know you said former colleagues, but who have you learned the most from about how to like be a school board member? Yeah, um, I would say. Um four people. Um, Amy Wentz, who is like the city psychologist, like I, she literally like is, I think everyone's like ear to cry on uh, when they're having a rough time. And um, she's just, I think, I don't know, you probably had her on your podcast a million times. No, I love, yeah, I love Mimi. Shout out Mimi. Yeah. Yeah. So she's the best, right? And um, she um, has been a really helpful sounding board, um, especially in, you know, having grace with me and, um, you know, spending time with me to help, you know, help me understand my role and supporting, you know, sort of good governance across the board. Um, Don Page, um, also eighth district, um, you know, Don's the one, Don and I butted heads like no one's business my first year on the board. Um, and then I, and she ended up being chair, I ended up being her vice chair three years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is someone that I really admire for, um, you know, not holding a grudge, keeping the conversation rolling. Um, you know, she, oh, she knows my kid. She knows my family. She always asks, she cares. Right. Um, uh, and then, um, Kim Bridges, who held my seat two seats ago, um, who's, um, a VC professor at VCU, extremely smart, just a great policy buff. And then most recently, Nicole Jones, who is, um, you know, my colleague from the ninth. So we've got the, the first and the ninth, um, uh, has really helped me think about how to, you know, I can tend to be a politician, right? Sometimes I want to write a fancy statement and get a lot of shares and, you know, be popular for a day. And Nicole has been really helpful in helping, um, me center around the, the bigger picture and, and keeping conversations, child focused, keeping conversations, um, you know, focus on what's best for the kids and, um, she's a total badass. So, well, you've got some great ones. Those are, those, uh, are some amazing, amazing, uh, community leaders. Uh, Nicole was just on the show. So she did the series right before you. And, uh, and, and like I said, uh, Amy Wentz in particular is someone that I have a lot of love and respect. Yeah. We, um, we, uh, watched comedy together. Remember? That's right. No, she's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's a, 
let me ask um, on the way out because I, I, you've kind of asked like who who you've learned from. Um, what do you would say is kind of the biggest thing that you've learned, especially from your time coming on the board to your time now, and how's and and what you would kind of hope to to even further your knowledge base of as you move throughout this term and possibly go for another. What, what's, what's that learning? What's that learning experience been like? What would you say that you've taken away the most? Gosh, I don't know how I can succinctly say that. Um, <laughs> and you have 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I have learned, um, I have learned that my opinion that, you know, sometimes um, it's not about, you know, I'm, I work in finance for a living, right? So sometimes I want to throw things into an Excel spreadsheet and just have everyone listen to my, my fabulous logic. Um, and that's no, not how politics happens, right? It happens, um, it happens from relationship building. It happens from, you know, nights in people's living rooms, um, you know, chatting and listening and talking and building, building trust. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I did not have an appreciation for how hard that work is and how important it is, but um, you know, it's something that I've I've tried to develop throughout the years. I have learned a lot about um, you know my own unconscious bias, my own racism. You know, I'm on my own anti-racism journey, and um, you know, I'm trying every day to um, you know learn from my mistakes and and do better and be better, but. Um, you know, I'm a privileged white girl from Connecticut. Like I literally went to college thinking that everybody sailed and skied as their, <laughs> like, you know, I, I, you know, I had, I still have a lot of, you know, bias to, to work through. And so, um, I'm just so grateful, um, for the opportunity. It's really been life-changing. Liz, what's the biggest misconception about RPS? Um, that it is a bad district full of incompetent people. Interesting. That's true. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's true. That's a good, that's a, that's a really good, uh, good misconception there. Um, as you move forward, what, uh, what are you, what are your goals for RPS? What would you like to see? Um, I would like to see, um, I try and I would like to see us continue to carry out our strategic plan. Um, so passion for learning was a strategic plan that we developed, um, when the superintendent first came on the board It includes a number of different initiatives, um, that are all extremely, uh, valuable, I believe, um, and was based on hundreds of community meetings. So, I would like us to make sure that we don't lose sight of that work. Um, it includes anything from, you know, getting all kids to on greeting level to um, in instituting more restorative justice practices to um, finding ways to recruit more male teachers of color to um, figuring out our bus transportation system. Um, and so it's it's a list of priorities that I think many of them still. Um, are apropos. Um, and I hope that uh, we don't lose focus on that because if we try and do too many things all at once, uh, we're not going to be successful at any of them. 
Thank you, Liz. Liz, tell everybody where they can find you and keep up with everything you're doing, whether it's social media, newsletter, website. Yeah. Um, my email is edor at rvaschools.net. Um, my uh, Facebook is Liz Dor for School Board. Um, and Andreas and I have a joint Facebook account, First District RBA. Um, we do town halls every month together. Um, so you can follow us on First District RBA to get on the schedule. Um, and I post my newsletter on my Facebook page so you can find it there, or you can just email me and ask to, to come on to it. And I have been bad about my newsletter. I used to send it every month and now I'm sending it like every quarter. Um, but there's just, so don't judge me, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and get better. That's my, one of my new year's resolutions. Liz, this has been great. So please thank you for the time. I hope everybody goes and follows, uh, Liz and everything that's happening in the first district. Uh, because it's important. Um, I think Liz articulated it better than I ever could. Um, because the, I think in the general kind of overall composite of the city, it's very easy to say, well, the first district is unlike the other districts in the city. And while geographically and economically, it's obviously a different, it's different than the composite of the city. It's It's also, I think, a challenge. It makes it a, a challenge for leadership um, to have the foresight, as Liz has already demonstrated, that, hey, look, I may represent the first district uh, and I'm going to represent the interest, interest of the first district, but I'm a part of the city as well. And you want to um, make sure that there, there's representatives for a reason. So thank you, Liz, for your commitment to public service. Uh, and thank you for coming on the show. It's been uh, it's been awesome. It's been so fun. Uh, thank you so much. And thanks for the opportunity to chat. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement podcast brought to you on the Family Podcast Network. We will be right back after this. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take a moment to thank Liz for her time, for her candor. I love having these conversations. This gives school board members, it gives educators, it gives administrators a chance to really dig a little bit deeper than what you would read in a news clipping, what you'd read in a quote from a newspaper. It gives them a chance to really explain themselves, and I hope that you're learning from these conversations as much as I'm learning. What's very clear to me is that we have very passionate, very caring people in our community that care tremendously about public education. And I will continue to bring more conversations, as many as I can, throughout this entire year. We're in March. This series is going to go throughout the entire year. So if you have a suggestion of somebody I should talk to about public education, about Richmond Public Schools, please Text me, email me, hit the page up, hit the social media up, because I want to have those meaningful conversations. This has been a blast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking with us. Until next time, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play living. All right. See you at the end, bro.